Welcome back, rugby fans. Once again, this is the Rugby Debate Show, where we put ourselves and our guests to the test here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Brogger, your host for today's activities, alongside the familiar faces of Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and of course, Scott, the big guy Ferrara. And joining them on this rant to try and take top honors, we have the super fan from the Toronto Arrows, despite wearing his Seattle camouflage. We have James Dealey. James, welcome <laughs> to the show. Hi, guys. How you doing? Thank you for uh, having me on. It's a pleasure. It's a great honor to be able to have your uh, your presence here and tackle these guys and hopefully take the win. Uh, but I got to stop for a moment and, and remind my everybody here. So you are the Toronto Arrows fan who is wearing the Seattle gear. Where did you get that and why that? Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, it doesn't look good. There's, there's a hat over there. <laughs> uh, I got it from the, uh, actually, just straight from the Seattle store, the MLR store. Uh, and I got it because it's it's beautiful. Uh, it's the only, I promise you, it's the only thing from another team that I own. You're right. <laughs> so I was like, no, really, I do like Toronto. But... Yeah, honest. <laughs> But you know, I got to say that that vintage style jersey is just a winner. You know, when they first released those in shopmlr.com, I just thought to myself, man, I got to have one of those. And and I and I see your point, though, regardless of what team it is, they're just really cool jerseys to be able to have. And uh, the Seattle one in particular is quite nice. They've got an MLR like focused one as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, so definitely if you're looking for something a little different from the regular gear, of course, if you like your Utah jersey or whatever the boys may be wearing there, that's great too. Shop MLR's got all of that, you know, the Giltini stuff. You, oh, there's one. So is Swans the only guy wearing the Arrows gear? <laughs> oh, that makes me look even worse. It's mix-up day today. <laughs> yeah, we got things a little messed up in the wardrobe meeting apparently. But more to my point. Um, those vintage jerseys are really cool, and uh, I'm glad that I can see them now going out to some of the fans out there because it took a little bit of patience um, to get them from Paladin, but now I'm sure they're selling like hotcakes at uh, Shop MLR. So make sure you go and check it out if you wanted to get any of your own vintage style jerseys from Shop MLR. Uh, let's let's take an opportunity to be able to dive uh, back into why we're here, gentlemen, and remind those viewers at home who may not yet be familiar with what we do here on the Rugby Grant in these rugby debate episodes where our guests will compete against each other for top honors as they debate the topic at hand, putting forth their best points as they contradict each other in some of them, and we will find a winner at the end of this episode. What will they be talking about today? Well, we'll be discussing the new MLR draft that has been announced on August 19th, the second version of the MLR draft, its importance, what we like about it, what we don't like about it, and uh, to hand it off and to start us off, should I say, we'll be giving the floor to James in just a moment. However, when James takes his opportunity, he'll have two minutes to be able to rant about this topic. Once again, the MLR draft that will be taking place on August 19th will be in three rounds as opposed to two that it was the previous year. If you go over your two minutes, though, James will be awarded a yellow card as a warning. If he continues to infringe, we'll be promoted to the red, which means he'll be out for a round. James, do you know the rules and are you ready? Know them. I'm ready to go. James, then the floor is yours. Tell us what you think about the MLR draft. Great. Okay. Well, I think the draft is a, is a proven proven way in other major league sports in North America. I think it's probably unique to 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 other, to the major league sports, although it's major league rugby. It's not technically it's not a major sport yet. Um, and so I think they're following that pattern. It it provides a clear pathway for the MLR to the MLR for collegiate athletes. Um, and in doing so encourages grassroots rugby and collegiate programs to grow the game, uh, encourage more players into those programs and then you know, shows them a pathway to professional rugby. Uh, basing it off last year's draft, um, the 2020 draft, there was uh, Connor Mooneyham and uh, Andrew Guerra selected for the US Eagles. This proves, you know, that's two out of 24. It's a start. It's better than I imagine some people expected, selected for international duty, even though they're just a year out of college. It's proof that it can work. It proof that, it's proof that it does work. 
And building on that, the 2021 draft will have Canadian collegiate athletes. Brilliant. Why not? The league is in, in two countries. Why can't the draft be? On the other side of that, there's all kinds of issues going to be revolving around visas. And that will be twofold. That will be visas for the Canadian athletes chosen by the U.S. teams and any U.S. athletes chosen by the Arrows, who are in this draft as well. It would be unusual to see a, uh, a an American player playing for the Arrows, but not out of the realms of possibility. Um, another One of the downsides, I think, is that um, a third of the 2020 draft uh, haven't, haven't played a single minute of MLR rugby. There have been some standouts, but a, a third of them haven't. Um, eight out of 24 haven't played a single minute. Uh, there's games that... There's teams seem to prefer um, tangible, known tangibles, known quantities, rather than magic beans. Man, that was two <laughs> minutes on the dot. I gave you a one yellow head. And yes. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I like it, man. You know, you packed a lot of good stuff inside there. So let's just rewind a little bit and and identify some of those those things that you brought to to uh, uh, clarity, gave some clarity. So, so one thing that is already a massive improvement upon last year is the fact that we have Canadian athletes that are able to compete. Arrows will now compete as well. So as you said, it's twofold. Oh. Uh, Double-sided, in, in, for a better term, is that, yes, while it's good, but it also presents a challenge with visas. So I like that. There's a little bit of further, deeper insight there, some challenges that may present themselves. We have to be able to hope that they can more easily navigate those challenges uh, because we were in a much better position this year than we were last year. And talking about last year's lack of rugby play, uh, in regards to, you know, where rugby is uh, for college level, it's a very different position as it might have been uh, from last year to now. It's getting slightly better, but not all of those people have had the opportunity to be able to play consistently, be given the opportunity to be able to uh, get the game time they need to be spotted and be recognized as a great potential for this draft. So those are some great points shared by James Dealey. Let's hand it over to Scott Ferrari to hear what he thinks. Let's get hot, baby. So um, first things first, um, we, we were talking about, you were talking about Americans being on Canadian teams. Um, shout out, I got the tidbit from uh, Brian Ray. Schlotman uh, from ATL, loaned over to Toronto, uh, did not play, um, but he will probably be the first American to play for the Toronto Arrows at some point this season as internationals come around. Um, thanks, Brian Ray, for that one. Um, I think the biggest thing we had last time we were talking about this almost a year ago was communication and what did we get now from the mlr a ton of communication i mean a ridiculous amount of communication yeah. um communication not only um presented to fans to say this is how the the um draft is going to work but how player eligibility might be affected for example right. for d1a players you do not you lose your collegiate el eligibility by declaring for the draft Everybody else, Nescro, whoever, they have to consult their their governing bodies. But they come out and say they come out and say it. You might not lose it. You might lose it. Talk to your governing body. D1A players will not lose it. Um, what happens if you're if you are drafted? Um, MLR uses the draft and, and follow approach, um, and it does say, I believe. Hold on one second. Um, you know, uh, as if we if you reach an agreement with with an MLR team, you are expected to relocate there. Um, and play there. Um, so they give you, they, they're giving out so much detail now that I think it's going to sit better with the fans, the way the draft's going to work. Three rounds could be four rounds, could be five rounds, depending. I mean, I think we said something like 430 players were draft eligible last year. Um, obviously, all of them weren't taken with just having the two rounds. But I think James brought up a good point about having Canadian collegiate athletes in there. Now Toronto doesn't have to get rid of their draft picks, which was something that they had to do last year because they felt it just wasn't fair. As far as visas, I wonder, because all the Canadians came over to play in the U.S. for this long a period of time, I wonder now maybe visas will be uh, easier to get for some of these professional rugby players because there's a, a breath of, of you know what happened this year. The visa lawyers can go back and say, "Hey, you know, you allowed these guys to come play professional uh, uh, rugby down in Atlanta through, to, you know, from Toronto." So I, that that process might get easier. Um, but I think the big thing is communication. You know, me guys, I love the draft. I'm a big draft head. Uh, very excited. 
And it is something to be excited about. I mean, you have to be able to imagine that for these kids that are now jumping on this pathway, uh, it's new, it's exciting. It's something that hasn't existed. Kind of going back to James' uh, earlier point, it's a pathway that is more clearly defined this year than it was last year. And this is to Rob's, uh, sorry, to Scott's point, is that clarity and the transparency is more so there than it was before. It's one of the heavy criticisms about last year. And maybe that's because it was thrown together what may have been quite hastily at first under difficult conditions. This year, it's, okay, we've done it once around. What can we build upon? And I have that sentiment. I think that they've genuinely gone back, reviewed what they had done, and decided to come out and go, okay, these are the things we needed to improve upon. This is how we're going to do it. Rob, what are some of your thoughts? So I want to... Just dovetail off of what uh, the big guy said about uh, communication. I think that I agree with him. That's one thing that's been improved. One of the things that I, I find is very interesting in this communication piece, they've encouraged the players to share their declaration on social media. So they're really trying to capitalize off the commercialization of the draft. I think it will be more successful than last year. Um, I wonder if they have to sign a likeness clause, which means they allow for the league to use their likeness, right? I believe that is included in that, though. Um, At least I believe I read something to that effect. Right. So I wonder if the MLR is preparing for the potential of being included in a video game, you know, in a a rugby video game, EA sports style game moving along in the future. That might be a great opportunity to introduce rugby to young fans and get them accustomed for those who don't normally play it, accustomed to rules Mm -hmm. and procedures to play, et cetera. So that's very exciting to me. Um, the, don't forget the development camps are happening. Utah is doing one in St. Louis, and there's some other development camps going around. So it's an opportunity for, for teams, GMs, coaches to get eyes on some of these players. Uh, talk to them a little bit under a restricted environment, um, just to have an idea of what, what their thoughts are. Yeah. Um, what I think is interesting is the verification, the fact that now transcripts have to be sent in, registration cards, whether it's a NES, uh, National College Rugby or USA Rugby or Can- uh, Rugby Canada card, uh, has to be submitted with us. So it's a little bit more clarity as to who is qualified and who is eligible, which is a good step. Um, some of my concerns, uh, I'm not really keen on the fact that if players are unsigned, um, and and I think the date is, is in August, that um that they're they're in all basically they can't play until mid 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 season and become a free agent until mid season next season i think that's too long i think there needs to be more pressure on teams to sign them sooner right so let's i, I want to hit home on that one point just for a moment sorry scott did you want to add to that or yeah i just i believe that was a rule last year as well so i'm just saying it's a continuing rule that they're going to use it was a rule last year but the 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 draft happened sooner in june um, obviously, now we've had a season that has surpassed that. And now they got to wait. Well, no, actually, I'll go, hold on. Let me rephrase. So uh, maybe you are right. I want to make sure that I get this correct. Uh, so let me rewind for just a moment. So was so now it's they can have the rights to a play until halfway through yes. the season in 2022. Scott, are you saying it was the same way for, for that in 2021? Yeah, remember we were talking about we were Rob, we were talking about the whole period where if if you were coming in, you were going to have to wait and then they changed it due to covid. You okay. and and you're going to have to clarify cuz I I thought I remember that we identified the the date is August 30th, so the draft was June 15th or 16th and it was still August 30th to sign players and then that kind of released them to become a free agent uh to other teams to pick up. Um the part you're referring to, I, I thought, dealt more with um, some other aspects of of eligibility with regard to players not being able to uh, still being able to retain their eligibility for college. So, nevertheless, uh, this seems to be a key point that it, it needs to be a lot more easily understood, right? And I think that is their attempt. But more to the point of what I think Rob was trying to be able to say is why halfway through the next season? Right. Why not at the beginning of the season? Right. Why, why shouldn't they have the ability to be able to say, OK, if by your first game, I don't have a deal with you. Why can't I have the right to be able to find another team? Because maybe there's somebody else out there. Uh, and the rights to a player, just so everybody understands what that means, is 
Yes, you can engage in conversations with the permission of the team that has rights to you, but they have to buy the rights to negotiate with you. And not every team will do that. Most teams might very well wait until that elapses. And now you've lost half a season that you potentially right. could have been with your new team. Maybe not in the starting team, but you could have been in the, in the camp. I think, right? I think that makes sense. I think we're confusing a couple things because I just want to, I want to say, um, it says uh, if I de- if if I declare for the draft and I'm not drafted, can I still play for an MLR team during the next season? It says yes. If you are not drafted, you will be able to play for an MLR team, and you will not be eligible for next year's draft. What Rob was referring to, and this is what I was referring to too. We both mixed it up. Was y- if you don't sign, so right. if you get right. drafted and you do not sign. That's how I understood it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's two different things. It's not just if you just didn't sign, you're a free agent. If yeah, if you get drafted and do not sign, that was the same rule they had last year. You don't become a free agent till the middle of the season because at that point, I think that what they're trying to do is have some transparency and have some arm's length transactions where if somebody doesn't want to sign because they want to sign with their hometown team, well, the hometown team shouldn't be able to get them right off the bat if they were drafted by you know whoever. Mm. So I, I throw this question to you then, Scott. Do you think that that is um, uh, in the best interest of the player? Or could it rather have been if you don't sign by the time the season starts, you then become a free agent because they've obviously decided at that point or you've decided at that point, whichever way it may swing, there isn't an agreement between the two. I mean, I got to be honest, you know, we're trying to make it like the other like it, you're being drafted into a major four, right? So to do that, you kind of have to have that. And to be honest, I think we saw it last year with most teams. Rooney traded their picks. They wanted Connor Buckley. Connor Buckley knew he was wanted to stay in Brooklyn. That's where his family is. He knew he wanted to sign with Rooney. So instead of being drafted, you know, whoever talked to him, he said, listen, I'm not going to go there. So, you know, he did his own thing to, to stay undrafted and then eventually sign with Rooney. So I think the, the players do have their choice when they're communicating with these teams. And I think these teams are receptive because we saw guys like Patrick Madden get drafted to San Diego, uh, you know, Roddy to L.A. You know, so guys who wanted to stay in their respective areas went there. Connor Mooneyham, Dallas, then signing with AGs afterwards. You know, so I think there's more communication and and they're more receptive to what people – they're each other are saying but i do think you still have to have that rule in there because i could see teams tampering you never know you know don't don't forget though they've added the clause in there that basically if you get drafted by a team that you're you have to move there if you sign yeah you're expected to relocate if you sign right yeah and 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 talking about that let's ask james let's imagine put yourself in the shoes for a canadian player right yeah and now you're told, okay, you've been drafted by the Austin Gilgronies and you have to relocate. Um, what would your thoughts be if you were a young player from Canada and you were told that you had to be able to move if you wanted to participate? Well, first of all, like the, the, the Austin Gilgronies uh, stadium in the middle of the Circuit of Americas is a fantastic venue and a fantastic <laughs> – I mean, that would be cool to play at every yeah. week. Uh, that's you know, right. That's the first thought is wow, that's really cool. I could play rugby there. But when you think about it more, then you're you're you're. I get your point in that you don't want to go that far, or you might not want to go that far. That's right. I mean, your family unit. You know, you got no job potentially. You just come out of college and little little funds in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's essentially an entire length of a continent. You're moving away. Um, Especially, you know, today, you're going to be constantly thinking, well, what if I can't cross the border home? You know, what if I can't go visit? Um, which, you know, hopefully won't be the case for much longer, but you'll always have something in your mind saying, well, what if something prevents that? Um, which I think is, is a unique uh, problem to have going forward nowadays. Uh, but I think, nevertheless, it will be a factor. Yeah. Um, it, it, I would say, you know, it might depend on how hungry these guys are. You know, if they just go, I get to play in the the Premier League in Premier Rugby League in North America. Right. Great. It doesn't matter who for. And but, and I think a lot of kids would feel that way. Yeah, you know, I agree. With the opportunity. I mean, because you have to be able to imagine you're 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 no one's forcing you to be able to be to to join the draft, right? You're doing huh. so by your own free will. 
and there's a process to be able to follow. You're communicating with your coaches. You're getting some guidance along the way, which I hope is now the part that's being brought into it more than last year. But if you're, as you said, if you're given the opportunity to join a team in the, the in the highest level of professional rugby available to the U.S. and Canada, and you are a young player who's trying to pursue this path, does it really matter where you're going as long as you're in a, in, in a professional rugby environment, right? Um, I guess it's the secondary factors that I mentioned before that become important about your, how close you are to your family, your support network, job opportunities, these things, which the, the, the major league rugby franchises that will adopt these players are not responsible to be able to find these for you yet. Yeah, I think on that. Well, I, I, I think, think that is. Sorry, go right. ahead, James. I think that is a uh, something that the clubs can work towards to kind of sweeten the deal. Is to say, you know, if you come here, we can do this and this and this for you to make things easier. Like you say, they're not responsible for it, but they can be, and that might just be to sweeten the deal in some way. You know, it might be to prevent this player from going to an opponent, or just because you really want this guy, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They can. Just because they're not responsible doesn't mean they won't. Yeah, Rob, what were your thoughts? Yeah, there? I, I have a couple of concerns, and and one of them is the fact that don't forget a clearly defined standard contract versus the hourly contract, and um, it's pretty safe to assume that probably two thirds to three quarters of the players that came out in last year's draft in that list of twenty four players were uh, under the hourly contract, right? Um, my concern is that some of these kids are being told you basically for draft you got to move to that city to sign and more than likely you're going to be working an hourly wage contract and you're not making a ton of money doing that i mean it's barely a livable wage when you add it all up i know i've talked to some players that have had these struggles and especially under covid they haven't been able to get another job so it's really caused some of the some of the financial difficulties for some of these players uh you know i i get scott's point about them wanting to be more professional to that end but like we're not talking about the NFL where, you know, rookie contracts are, you know, uh, 20 million dollar signing bonus. Well, I mean, just a just a rookie contract is is generally five, five hundred thousand dollars a year. But I do With have a signing I, bonus. That's 10 million. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just if you take if you take the last guy in the draft, he's he's going to make a minimum of five hundred thousand with no signing bonus. So and that's a, that's the entire, you know, salary cap for an MLR team. But I do think you kind of have to if if you don't do it that way from the start, as you grow, it doesn't move into that. And I mean, you know, I wonder if we move into the NHL and MLB territory where maybe we start drafting kids who are still in college because their eligibility is not going to be changed, at least at the D1A level. You know, if you look at the uh, University of Michigan hockey team, I think. Uh, they their entire their entire squad except for two guys were already drafted um, when they were freshmen last year. So you had five seniors who were drafted four years ago. You had three juniors who were drafted. You know whatever. You had eight sophomores, and there was only two freshmen not already drafted. So I mean maybe we go into that route eventually to say hey you know to give them time. Now you could say okay I'm finishing my degree. I'm going to go to Austin. I can line up a job. In this time of COVID, I think everybody realized we could do a lot of things digitally. Um, I know a lot of the guys uh, that I know playing in the MLR, some, a bunch of them are still doing digital work from home stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's – I understand where Rob's coming from, but I also feel like you got to carry yourself a certain way in some of these things, and that's the well, – I mean, whatever. you need to start out how you want it to be, right? So I, I do understand it from that point of view there, Scott, is that, you know, okay – you need to set a clear expectation. So I think that that part has been done. I think they properly outlined what makes you eligible this year, at least more so than they did the year before with, you know, having completed three years of college or at least be at the standard, what it means if you're not playing, if you're drafted and how you become a free agent later. I think that these outlines have been more clearly defined. So inside that and you're willing to be able to accept these conditions you also have to be able to then accept the fact that you are probably going to be on a very slim contract to start. And on that point, I, I wonder, I just wonder, it popped into my head as Rob was talking about being on possibly on an hourly contract instead of a full contract like most senior players will have in the yeah. MLR, is if you're Connor Mooneyham, right, for example, 
and you uh, have now been drafted. Forget how it happened, but he's now at uh, Austin. Um, let's imagine that uh, that a player like him was on an hourly contract and then is now a key player for a team and also a, 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 a shoe-in for, for an USA cap. Is he still potentially a hourly paid player? Um, you know, so that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, I think if if I'm not mistaken, those hourly contracts or year contracts are not they're not extended beyond the the this right. current season, and so you can expect him to be on a little better. Him and Gara are both going to be in a little bit better negotiating position. Um, you know, one of the things before we get away from it, I wanted to hit upon one thing. I think think they missed the mark. They haven't resolved the for the the issue with foreign players because they've said foreign players can right. be in the draft. But they haven't addressed, you know, are these foreign college players who are drafted, are they going to consume a foreign player spot or is there going to become some kind of an exemption? That's the piece I wish they would have hit on. Hit on That's a very made. fair point because there are some players that were cho- not chosen um, who were certainly better candidates uh, based on the fact that it would now mean that MLR would assign them as a foreign player slot, taking away their ability to get a more experienced player, possibly from, you know, New Zealand or South Africa as the trend has been. And I also don't think that I saw that, um, you know, discussed and, 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 and properly explained. So that could be something that's left up largely to interpretation or for us to fill in the blanks. Well, I think it goes by where they were in the eligibility process to begin with to become an Eagle. So, you know, if they, they hit their three-year requirement because that's what they fell under, then they're not a foreign player spot. You know, they don't hit that slot. So I think it's, it's the, you know, player dependent. I, don't, I, think it's, I think it's more clear than we think it is. I don't know. I mean, players, players in college are getting assistance or help from home. I mean, that's one of the problems we know from talking with Wes White. You know, he got a birthday gift from his dad that helped him get a car. And, and part of that's what created his ineligibility to be a U.S. Eagle. So, I know, but, you know. But my point is, at that point, it's clarified what his eligibility is. So, you know, these players are going to figure out what their eligibility is if they go through the process. And generally, by the time they're hitting senior year, they should know what that eligibility is. Yeah. And, you know, one point that we do know when it comes to eligibility is that the standard has already been set with uh, Canadian uh, players in the league that are not being considered as foreign player slots. So at least we can recognize that that wouldn't affect any draftees that are of Canadian origin. Yeah. Um, I think we have to normalize that terminology of North American player slots. That's what we should start calling them and putting that out in the zeitgeist. You're right, you're right. I mean, that should be the vernacular, you know, that, I mean, that more easily identifies them as, as one as uh, rather than separating the two as we, we so clearly do t- far too often. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's, it's important because a lot of, you know, and it, might, it also goes the other way. I mean, Americans yeah. going to, 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 to Canada as well. So there's a lot of interesting points, but overall, I'd like to be able to get your thoughts on where it stands as an improvement or still needs a lot of improvement. And let's open it up with James again for your final thoughts there. Share what your, uh, your, your viewpoint is now, having learned uh, everything that we've shared. I think uh, there's one kind of indicator that it, it is an improvement, and that's that the, the draft is going to be bigger. You know, there's going to be three right. rounds this year and not two. So it's clearly, clearly, you know, I think they would have probably said, let's keep it as two rounds if they didn't think that this was a success. Um, there's some some questions about um, the if there is going to be another expansion draft for Dallas. I'm not really sure how the hell that's going to work this time around, whether they get a second bite of the apple or not. But I'm hoping there's an additional team in that too. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> it would be awkward having 13 Maybe teams. A team in the Midwest around Rob's area. Yeah. <laughs> that's close get me anyway. colors, <laughs> i i do think it is an improvement the bottom line um it, it like you like you've all said the the communication around it is much better than last year um the 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 sort of it's a clear pathway thing that i brought up it it, it really is there's a lot more interest i would imagine this year this time around that's why there's probably three rounds they want to get more of these players drafted to mlr teams um, so I, you know, I don't think there's, that's the bottom line. I, you know, I think it's a bigger draft. There's going to be more draftees, more draft picks or players who were drafted in these MLR teams. And I think the only way for it is up to be honest. Yeah. One thing I'm hoping that will be improved is also on the night, how it's shared live, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, we, we, we challenged ourselves last year to be able to do a live coverage of it. Yeah. Uh, we were, it was our first live show. Correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, sure was. Um, what we didn't expect is to be able to have a pre-recorded show that delivered them in like rapid fire, <laughs> three in about three or five or whatever it was. I mean, I, I digress uh, because you know there they put it together pretty quickly and they did a great job considering the challenges. Um, but I can now see it getting bigger and more rounds and potentially even more than three rounds as they've identified three is the minimum. I believe. Yeah. So, yes, um, and that's it's just indicative of where it was. Last year, they had near 400 athletes who, who decided to participate, which surpassed even their, their own expectations. Um, who knows what it might be this year? It might even be double that, right? Who knows? Because there's a lot of great talent out there. And if the MLR draft is one of the ways that we can give them a more defined pathway, that already is a win and an improvement upon those pathways that never existed in this way before. Scott, what are your overall thoughts? Uh, well, first, I'm giving the official yellow card because that, that was going to be my, my second thought. So my first thought was there was, an overall improvement. there was an overall improvement of how the draft process works for players and how they enter and more defined rules. Then my second thing was then there has to be a more improvement on draft night and it has to be singular. It can't be three guys in a row. You know, they have right. to do a little more prep for it. But I, I do feel that and I think we're, we're losing it because we talk about the draftees themselves. And I wonder what this helped, how this helps the academy teams where you can identify a kid maybe across the country and say, hey, you know, we have an academy team. And, and let's be honest, they do this on the club scene where clubs do recruit guys across the country to come play club rugby. So it's not, you know, it's not foreign to us here in the States. Um, you know, do that for HTX, do that for, you know, the, the, the mini roosters over in New York, do that for, you know, the other, the, you know, the um, LA loyals where they're going to identify, you know, have this whole player pool where they can identify players that wouldn't be drafted or not going to get drafted and then offer them a spot on their Academy because they like the way they play or they fit the system or whatever, or they can, they can, they just have access to these, this player's information to get tape to look at them. So I think that, you know, rolling the, what's going to, the people who are not going to be drafted into what the Academy system is turning into. I think that's the biggest improvement. Yeah, and the academy system is, you know, was only in its infancy. It still is in its infancy, but at least it's 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 a, another option for players who might not be successful in this draft. So I hear what you're saying there that there could still be an opportunity for them to pursue that MLR dream. Rob, your final thoughts. Uh, yeah, it's an improvement. I think an improvement two areas communication, but the other one is the fact that players are going to be able to put out, um, you know, that they're eligible. And so we're going to know it's not going to be a guess who's eligible. We're going to know who's eligible uh, when we get to that draft period. Uh, I think the window for them to declare needs to be bigger. If I'm not mistaken, it's like a week or week and a half uh, that the deadline is in August. Um, I wish that 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 window was a little bigger bit bigger for for us to prepare as fans and kind of get to know some of these players yeah, I, I think there's was august 6th right so you're talking about you know two weeks what 15 days 15 days yeah. two weeks yeah. um now ha having said that i think there's room for improvement one of them i think they could definitely define college foreign players where do they fit in is there going to be an exemption um one of those improvements i think will just come over time uh, but I'm still not comfy with it. And that is the onus is still on the players considerably to ensure that they're don't don't damage their eligibility if they decide mm -hmm. not to sign. Right. And that's particularly true with the uh, NCR uh, players, the, the Rugby Canada players, et cetera. They have to consult and do their own due diligence. And we don't have agents that can help them through the process. Head coaches aren't even sure what that process is. So it's left up to, you know, 21, 22 year old kids. And it's very tough for them. I feel the questions from those kids. I feel the questions from those I parents. I think that's probably one of the most important points to come out of this conversation is that while we as fans might have a deeper understanding than we did in comparison to last year, and we feel like the framework is more clearly defined. It doesn't count for the nuances in between where that person who is playing college rugby doesn't have the mentor to be able to help them through the process, which they so clearly need because one misstep can change your eligibility rules 
and change and define the rest of your career in part two. And quite well, frankly, it's not our assets on the line. So it's easy for us to postulate, but it's not our eligibility that's on the line. And that's, and it's an issue. And I've talked to my son who right. has friends that are in that position. And that's a very real issue for them. So let but me see, ask you. Um, the wrong people, though. You guys are pushing back to the wrong people. It should be on the governing body to give the players the clear rules because the governing body is the one letting them play the rugby. So in my opinion, they should be not, pre- you know, if, if the player is going to pressure somebody, it should be the governing body in which they're playing because they're directing every other thing they do to play under them. So my point is that should be something that Nescro should figure out because D1A figured it out. So what you're suggesting is, is that it sounds like we're leading down this path is that there should be a stronger relationship between the different unions with the MLR and together they should say, okay, this is how we're going to communicate the standards for our players under our umbrella. And there needs to be some way for them to be mentored and guided. Um, But then again, where where's the glue that binds it together yeah, is what and, i'm trying to say and, and guys i'm going to tell you like the experience that i i've had are with d1a players and right. there is a lot of uncertainty amongst them and whether it's real or whether whether it's real or whether it's perceived is immaterial if by those players there's a perceived concern about damaging their own ability then it's a real problem Okay, but yeah. what I'm saying is it it clearly states in this thing from the MLR, if you're a D1 player, if you become eligible for the draft, it will not do anything to your eligibility. So obviously they work that out. Right. With those but let's say a player, a, yeah. let's say a player goes to one of the development camps and he starts talking, just has a camera kind of conversation with a GM. Is but that's not, is he, that's is, not, he is he is he broken his eligibility? It's well again, it's perception. Well, not exactly. according to MLR. Uh, look, but again, the players don't know what those what those granular defined details are. And so if they're uncertain, they're unlikely to go to those development camps or they're unlikely to be willing to have any conversations with okay. potential teams. I mean, that That's unfortunate. But right now we're talking about the draft. So I don't know what you know, we're, if we're talking about what the draft is and the eligibility for the draft, it says D1A players will not lose their eligibility if they declare for this draft. That's what we're talking about right now. Right. right. And but- that's, that's what we have to go off now. So I, I, I recognize that. But I think, you know, more to to Rob's point is that there's still a large amount of responsibility on the players themselves right. to navigate this and how much guidance is there and how 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 important is the perception of what they do and who is the one that's making that judgment. Um, so you hope that they, they would, they would make the right decisions, but you know, 21, 22, 23, whatever they are, I didn't when I was that age, (laughs) you know? Um, so there's a lot, a lot to learn. Um, there's a lot of growing up for these guys to do to make the right decisions, but you know, if they are to pursue a career in rugby, uh, this is the most clearly defined pathway to professional rugby that has yet to exist. And now we hope to be able to cement that even more so this year. Um, ultimately, I think it still stands that we all believe it is an improvement. We all understand its function. We believe in its purpose. Uh, it just more easily has to be um, understood as to how and, and, and when these guys can infringe upon these rules. Um, would that be fair? Is that kind of the uh, the final assessment here? That, yeah, that's my yeah, that's big concern. Big concern. Yeah, Scott remained silent for the first time in history. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's you know you have to put it on the bodies, and obviously they put it on D one A to figure it out, and they figured it out. So now you got to push the other the other places and do the same thing. Right, fairly, uh, I I agree with almost all of those points to differing degrees and gentlemen it obviously is an interesting debate we've gone pretty deep and i think a lot of fans wouldn't recognize some of these intricacies and these nuances but that's again why we're here on the rugby round to be able to help you understand and navigate some of these interesting thoughts and you can continue to be able to learn more about mlr rugby canada and of course usa rugby by following us under the handle at rugby rant pod where we will have new episodes weekly on the rugby network every friday and if you want to make sure you get it a little bit earlier than anybody else follow us on social media on facebook 
Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can get the latest episode of our next rugby debate every Thursday before it arrives on Friday on the Rugby Network under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. Gentlemen, we need to be able to crown a winner. It has been an interesting debate here talking about the merits, whether it's an improvement or whether it needs to improve the MLR draft. But before we announce our winner, we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Tight Ed Brewing Company is Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers for all seasons. Located in Mundelein, Illinois, in the heart of Lake County, owner Bruce Durr and the Tight Ed staff will ensure you are kept well hydrated so you don't miss a single scrum. Tight Ed's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and families can meet, socialize, and enjoy the action of every Major League Rugby Derby that will electrify the 2021 season. Head to Tight Ed on Saturday, June 19th at 1.30 p.m. to see the Utah Warriors play the big guys, Rooney. The watch parties will happen every week throughout the season up to the Major League Rugby Final on August 1st. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tight Head Cup, Tight Head Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tight Head, it's worth more than a try. Rugby Coffee was born out of two passions, providing ethically sourced coffee and promoting the growth and development of rugby. By combining these two passions, the folks at Rugby Coffee see an opportunity to bring people together. And together, we can make a difference. Rugby Coffee. Invest 10% of their profits into giving kids opportunities to play rugby and projects that help uplift communities. These endeavors have been transformational in many kids' lives and uplifted and empowered these communities. The boys at Rugby Coffee are taking pre-orders for three distinct brews, Jouet Jouet, Champions Cup, and Crowd Favorite. Each brew has its own unique style and flavor. Get your brew and support youth rugby. A simple vision can be transformational. Rugby as a sport can inspire communities, bring hope, and provide opportunity. Rugby Coffee, it's not just a game, it's a way of life. And we're back, rugby fans. Again, of course, this is the Rugby Rant Debate, where we have asked our ranters to be able to tell us what they think about the upcoming MLR draft, whether it's considered an improvement or whether it needs much more improvement. And we have shared some interesting points. It has been a wonderful opportunity to learn some of the intricacies that surround the MLR draft, eligibility for the players, how it's going to work, how many rounds there will be. And man, we probably could have kept going for another 30 minutes. Uh, there's just plenty to be able to talk about and unpack, but I'm sure we'll continue to learn more as it comes to be a little bit closer. But of course, reminding all our viewers that it is set for August 19th, and that will be a Thursday evening on this occasion, and it will take place in three rounds at a minimum. We hope to see more. And we hope to see the expansion teams have their part to play. And who knows, maybe there'll be one more. But more to the point, gentlemen, we need to be able to figure out who is the winner of this round. Again, it was Rob Hammerschmidt battling it out alongside Scott Ferrara. And joining us was James Dealey. James, uh, of course, is uh, the Toronto Arrows fan, despite his Seattle Seawolves jersey. <laughs> But it, for yeah, the record, yeah. it's a hot jersey, James. It is a good-looking shirt. Looks right. good. good. Um, but, you know, it's it's been a tough one to be able to call because there is so much to unpack. But I think the one point that resonated with me most came from Rob Hammerschmidt. So we're going to crown him the winner. Rob Hammerschmidt, who went boom, off topic. Boom, off three boom. Uh, so I'm going to I don't have anything to do with the topic next time. Well... I mean, what I found in what resonated with me is, I mean, yes, maybe it was a secondary point or even a tertiary point, but it was how the players needed to kind of be guided and to help navigate through this and how quickly it could change for them by doing something what could be perceived as quite innocent is just having a conversation with a coach about, hey, you know, what do you think about this? And yeah, that's against the rules. But then, you know, I also tend to 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 understand that um you know, Scott says that maybe we should lean upon the unions themselves a little bit more, but I don't see that happening right now. Uh, so again, the onus sits on the shoulders of those players who are looking to be a part of that draft. So I think that's what swung it back in Rob's favor. James, you have been a, an amazing guest 
And we'd like to be able to take the opportunity to be able to give all our guests the chance to be able to send a shout out to anybody important, share a special message. So before we head out, what is that message? Well, thanks very much. Thanks again, everyone, for, uh, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Uh, just in case anybody didn't know, and this is actually how Rob uh, got in contact with me, uh, I create well, I, I I create my own stats for the MLR. I do it every week. It's just it was a hobby of mine over lockdown after the 2020 season got cancelled. I um you know I curate them and I accrue them as as the games are played on a weekly basis, and I put some of the most interesting ones of those out on Twitter. Um, my Twitter is at Jam Delay J A M D E L A Y, and um. You know, I put a few out every week that I find the most interesting or the most mind-blowing or anything like that. And um, it was in relation to that that Rob uh, got in contact with me. Nice. I tell you, that's a, a, a valuable thing to have. I mean, mm-hmm. it was one of the criticisms of past seasons that we never had any stats. But uh, That's kind of know. why I got into it. And um, I know they have they have some form of stats right now, but there's nothing going out to to anyone. They have to kind of go and look at, them, look at it themselves. So I James? Wasn't wasn't stats a big question that came up on on one of the uh, games? I think it was the Utah San Diego game, and that they talked about Angus McClellan having forty caps, and uh, then there were some other questions about whether a player who was the international oh Rob Shaw had more yeah. caps for yeah. England. This than... is even what he actually said. Right, right. There was some some <laughs> right. confusion. It seems to be people yeah. under the impression that he said Rob Shaw was the most internationally capped player in the MLR, which isn't true. No, no. Uh, but I think he says, I think what they meant was he has more caps for England than any yeah, player think, in the MLR, yeah, as in I think MLR um, caps. Right. Yeah, I think McClellan, that was his 50th cap or appearance for MLR. I think Dylan Fawcett has 48, and they were just trying to say, uh, Rob Shaw's international caps are even more than the the guy most capped in the MLR. Right. Right. There could be an entirely different debate there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good reason to have James back, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) I've got plenty of ammo for that. We'll we'll have to be able to to find a way to be able to bring those stats into into the conversation. Um, But, you know, your contribution here today has been great. Uh, you've been a wonderful guest, and we hope to be able to see you back on a, for another occasion in an episode coming up later this year. But in the meantime, you know, we say thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this round wasn't yours. Once again, we remind you this round went to Mr. Rob Hammerschmidt, much to the dismay of Scott Ferrara. Now they <laughs> sit at two each in the most recent days. I'm so you let the tune in for next week. His point across by not talking about the actual draft and talking about the academies to say, oh, well, the uh, academy is confusion when there's an actual MLR document that says in the draft. D1 players are eligible, but you know, that's just the factual point I made. Would you like a Kleenex for those tears? Sorry, Rob went on, but okay, we'll go with that. Well, you know what we love is that you're such a great loser. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're so humble. Um, uh, The guy who won last week, Rob, talking about things that are completely off topic, but hey, you know. (laughs) We digress. Once again, this has been an opportunity to be able to rant about all things rugby, and we have enjoyed this one. We hope you, as a fan of the Rugby Rant, have enjoyed it at home and you can continue to enjoy our content as you follow us online under the handle at rugby rant pod where you can find new episodes every monday for a run pass or kick interview with another rugby insider in addition to our rugby debate shows which are released every thursday on social media under the handle at rugby rant pod and then the following day on the rugby network where you can find this episode like many more to come once again, I remind you that who we have on screen is the Rugby Rant team in addition to James Dealey. My name is Ty Braga. On behalf of Scott Ferrara, Rob Hammerschmidt, and James, we thank you for watching this, and we will catch you at the next. Welcome back, rugby fans. As you know, it has become familiar for us to be able to do our game analysis, and this episode is no different as now we take the opportunity to be able to share our thoughts and insights when it comes to this past weekend's possibly match of the season, in fact, is, of course, the Utah Warriors versus San Diego Legion that took place at the Utah Mm -hmm. 
Zion Bank Stadium, and it was a colossal matchup between these two. It proved to be an exciting match, and it certainly delivered in a game that scored 12 tries uh, and had more turnovers in, in in the lead than I've seen more recently. Uh, so it certainly was a battle. We're going to give this some real thought and some great insights shared by our panel. Yes. There were, there was only one turnover in the lead. They were tied at one point. Uh, so yeah. I just don't want you to get called out on social media. Let's probably read, let's right. Read probably it. right. So, so Rob Hanishman gets a point from saving me from the, oh, from the beast of social media. <laughs> But let's 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 take an opportunity to be able to start diving into this. Rob, seeing as you uh, you, you jumped in there first, let's hear some of your initial thoughts when it comes to uh, to this matchup, which, by the way, was one of those great conference matchups that certainly uh, became important because of where it lies in its uh, run up to the playoffs. Uh, so I'm going to talk about it in the context of a couple things that I noticed, kind of big picture zoomed out. Um, uh, elements that that were critical for me as I looked over the whole match. Number one, Utah's perseverance, and I and I saw this in a couple different areas. They never gave up until you know the game was over and the whistle had blown. I mean that was indicative of like you said, um, San Diego had the lead except for when it was tied at 17, and then only succeeded you know gave up that lead there in the 80th minute. So that per- perseverance was awesome. Uh, they were 17 points down and came back to win with 15 minutes left. They started to run, run, um, um, you know, to to come back. Um, They were down by uh, down by ten. They got down inside the San Diego five meter line. Uh, They had a knock on. For a lot of teams, the morale just would have decompressed and taken the air of everything. But they stayed at it. They persevered. They came through. Seventy seven oh nine. Tremendous point in the game. Utah um, was uh, wins a scrum against the head after they knocked the ball on uh, to get possession back and ultimately led to the go-ahead try. I thought those were critical. And then um, normally steady Joe, Joe Peterson missed two conversions. That's six points left off the board, guys. That That's the match. Um, you know, right. one of them was a tough Characteristic from him. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I thought he missed a – there were a couple opportunities. He kicked the possession away, and uh, Utah went on the attack. They had showed no fear. They went on the attack, uh, and their 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 aggressiveness paid off. Right, Utah has kind of more recently certainly been happy to be able to run the ball. There's a newfound confidence, and as you said, the resilience to be behind and to have these moments that kind of just go against you, these critical parts of the game, but still be able to hold your own and persevere to that last minute this week and the week before uh, was a similar pattern for them. So it certainly is exciting rugby, and those those close finishes is kind of becoming a hallmark of MLR rugby and the brand that they present. And this was perfect example of an exciting brand of rugby. Scott, what were some of your thoughts? Well, first off, I'm I'm presenting Rob's dog Nola with the yellow card for barking. So <laughs> no, can spend ten minutes in the sin bin. I thought it was um, Benji in the background. to our boy ali khalifi another prop try uh scoring uh two weeks in a row here along with our boys lerone white and james rochford and the other matches but um i think rob talked about it it's funny i you know people were like somebody mentioned on social media oh it seems like there's no defense based on the scoreline but you know in the first i want to say from minute seven to 17 san diego held utah to finally utah kicking that penalty i want to say 10 to 12 minutes before and I mean, there was, you know, there was a couple penalties and then finally Utah said, all right, we're going to go with, we're going to go with um, uh, kicking the, the points, but to hold them that long, I think is amazing. Um, and then again, up until the last 15 minutes, San Diego w- was holding Utah at bay. I think Rob was right. Um, 77th minute again, somebody taking my point, 77th minute winning that, that, that scrum uh, set the tone to say, oh, you know, this is, this is where the comeback started. And, you know, we say the last 15 minutes, uh, you know, for those of you who weren't watching, Ethan McVeigh, you know, Carl Denison comes off. Ethan McVeigh comes on to replace him at the nine. Um, he gets a head injury at 75 minutes. What happened was he makes a tackle. The ball carrier lands on him. His head hits the turf. 
unfortunately, a replacement was not permitted per the officials. So the last 15 minutes that Utah makes that comeback, San Diego only has 14 men on the field. I mean, you know, you, you, you don't want to say coincidences, but I mean, like, you know, it, it, they start the comeback exactly after that happens. And, you know, maybe it was just it, maybe it wouldn't have been different. Uh, with the 14 men, maybe it was just a mental drain to see, you know, one of your guys being carted off the field on a stretcher, you know, that could have had an effect that could have brought down your energy. So, I mean, it, I, th I think it was a pivotal point there. Um, and it, it seemed to set the tone for the rest of the match. Um, right. But San Diego, I think, I think Rob hit it again. Um, San Diego took what they had. Mikey tail with his quick taps on the penalties, just tap it and go. We've seen a lot of other teams for whatever reason, they squander, uh, those opportunities, uh, even when they're on, you know, on the other side of the, the midfield line, for whatever reason, kicking for touch um, when there might not be enough time left. I forgot what match that was. And, and God, was it uh, was it Austin? I think the Austin match, uh, whoever they were playing was I, I didn't understand it. They were they were down by two scores. They they, they were kind of just lollygagging around to kick for touch. That's exactly what Utah didn't do. They played with some urgency. I don't understand why other teams didn't don't play with that urgency. You know, again, I forgot I forgot who also was Toronto. playing. Toronto down by two scores, right? At at a certain point, uh, maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't AG's Toronto because I think that scoreline was bigger. It was something else we we were watching, and I can't sorry I can't put the the wrap my head around who it was. But there was a team that didn't play with urgency where they could have scored twice. And won the match. Make the minutes count, you know, instead of uh, wrong choices at the wrong time. Exactly, and 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 they have a brain fart like that, and that happened, you know, last week uh, against Atlanta when Van Schalkwick didn't play the ball and Cam Dolan dots down a, a try, and you know that's a close game. So I mean, I think you're just you're you're at that point where Utah is flowing and they're coming in to play across country to play a hard Rooney uh, team that you know Rooney has been playing solid, so you know, and they're catching a flow, so. Man, it's gonna be it's tight. It, I mean, the the West has tightened up almost as much as the East, yeah. right? You know, and it's so interesting how it's changed. And you know, let's rewind to some of our earliest conversations when the Giltinis hit the scene, and it almost seems that that there was this unstoppable nature about them. And you know, I remember it was well, obviously Rooney was the first one to kind of break the myth and the legend and really bring them back down to earth in some manner. Um, but but. You know, you have to be able to uh, to go back to some of the words of, of Scott Lawrence actually mentioned this in an interview before, and we, we kind of circled back around to it, but it is important. It is As it goes by, teams have learned each other team's pattern, and the games have become more competitive as a result. I mean, if you just look at the Super Brew uh, uh, contest that we've had, it's been so unpredictable. And one of the common threads in the conversations is how unpredictable this has really been. Um, but now we're, we're looking at what we thought was such a large gap in the West with the Giltinis sitting so far aloft and everybody else is kind of competing for second place. It may still feel like that to a certain degree, but it is not as easy to identify who is going to get that second place spot. And if things don't go according to plan for the Giltinis, they're not that far ahead now that they're out of that danger zone and already got their eyes on the prize. Uh, as it stands, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, uh, it would be Giltinis at the top with uh, uh, five points adrift. Uh, then it would have the Utah Warriors in second, followed by uh, Austin, and uh, then San Diego. Is that right? That's correct. And and LA has a game in hand on uh, Utah and Austin. Right. And San Diego, actually. We've been seeing quite a bit of a shakeup in the uh, in that conference still to come. Uh, obviously, Austin still uh, a force to be reckoned with with great defensive nature, although they lack their power in, in, in the offense. But when you look at a game like 41 to 40, 45 to 41 with this game, it was it all about offense. Um, you know, the criticism that MLR has taken is that it's all about the tries and not much about the defense. Uh, Scott, I know you argued this point online with some people. Yeah, I mean, I think if you go by certain things like, you know, rugby ATL, uh, Toronto, NOLA had some big wins, but those point differentials have seemed to even out for certain teams. Um, you know, Rooney had a big uh, deficit in point differential 
uh, because they had two big losses, and then all of a sudden they come back, and, and now their point differential is at a positive. Um, I was I was thinking about uh, Nola OGs is the team I was thinking about, and OGs I feel squandered that opportunity because instead of going for a quick tap with three minutes left, they kicked for touch, tried to maul it in. They end up scoring, but then their conversion, it happens at the death, and they don't get a second opportunity to score again. That's who I was talking about. Right. I get you about time management with what you've got on the clock, and you have to be aware of these things. And the concerning back around to the conversation about Utah, and uh, it seemed like they just got an extra pep in their step come that last 15 minutes. And as you said, it could be coincidental that they knew that they had a numerical advantage, uh, although it happened to fall in their lap through very unfortunate circumstances with that concussion uh, that immediately halted the, 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 the play there. And of course, uh, we wish the player well. He did go off the field uh, with a stretcher, but I do uh, remember that hand in the sky with the thumbs up that is always reassuring to fans and family back home um but you know so so it it was and i i want to circle back around to something that, that rob had said that it was very much a running style game uh lots of ball in hand opportunities where tries were being scored back and forth the running carrying meters for the utah warriors was 959 to san diego's 728 Although probably a third of that running meters was just in the final quarter for the uh, Utah Warriors. Yeah, and and I was just gonna say I'm glad you brought that up. Like two guys that really, three guys actually that showed up, uh, particularly two guys in the wing, Mika Kruse and, right. and was it Loster, uh, who's an Abibian, um international. I mean, those guys had some really good uh, uh, meters carried at the end of the game, and a guy that uh, all game. I was really impressed with was Josh Whippy. I mean, right. throughout the game, he carried the ball with authority. I mean, he, when he went into contact, he never took a step back. I mean, he always got additional meters after he made that initial contact. I thought he really had a lights out game. He would have been my man of the match. Yeah, and he put himself, inserted himself in the play very often. You know, he wasn't just standing and waiting for the opportunity. I love to be able to see somebody like that just try and find an opportunity to get in the game. Step out of your zone, right, if you have to. And Whoopi certainly certainly did that. And obviously, Teo had a fantastic game, as he always yeah. does. Um, you know, and, it, and it's reassuring knowing that you've got a guy who's in form, who's now also going to be going into the USA Eagles camp uh, for the overseas tour. And likewise, for many of those in the field, they're there too but one of the things that i see from the stats and just looking at it at a glance that seemed to be um a point of interest that separated san diego and utah was the number of penalties conceded whereas you see the utah warriors being at six and it's recorded for san diego at 14 um so yes these things break rhythm and they break the momentum um, discipline being a key theme again uh, for for all MLR teams. Do you think that it's possible that this is what might have led to some of their their downfall for uh, San Diego? Difficult to say with such yeah. a scoreline. I mean, I don't think I don't necessarily think that was the difference as much as I I, I truly feel there was an, their energy deflated after that horrific injury. As it um, would, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, but you want to talk about the the conference, you know, Monday morning fly half, Craig Gridelli, uh pointed out uh, San Diego and uh, Utah have the exact same schedule going into the last, up up until the last match of the season. Um, AGs drop a game, then we're going to have a real uh, 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 shot of one of these guys making number two. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be – it got a lot tighter than a lot of people thought. I got to be quite honest. It got a lot tighter. And, and me, me as well, me included. I didn't think it would be as tight as it is. I mean, we always knew the East was going to be a lot tighter. Now, we're, we're get, kind of coming into those final moments, uh, edging closer and closer towards the, uh, the end of the conference setup. Uh, Seattle, of course, recognizes being one of the first teams to be eliminated for that uh, contention of a uh, playoff spot. But that, that playoff uh, spot Houston, for, for seconds, sorry? It was, it was Houston. If Utah wins, beats Rooney this week, I believe, then Seattle is mathematically eliminated. Technically, I don't Thank think they're... Direction. The point I'm trying to be able to illustrate here is that 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 second spot, that fight for second, is very much alive. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, gentlemen, as it stands, we uh, we now know that um, the Warriors have 
for the meantime, secured enough of uh, what they needed to do to be in second, although there's still plenty of games to come. There are a lot of points to be uh, won. Uh, bonus points have become pretty important for these teams as well, as, of course, San Diego does move away from this game, not being a total loss, having taken some bonus points with them that might become very important in that run-up, as it will be for all the other teams. Uh, we look forward to being able to follow that as it continues to be able to evolve, um, but I am excited to be able to know that the East and West are both equally exciting right now. Ty, just I want to add, you know, for fans out there watching for this upcoming weekend, doesn't Utah play in uh, Rooney this weekend, Scott? Correct. Right. Watch to see what the energy level of Utah is going to be. I mean, we've seen that, um, you know, L.A. had trouble going across the continent and playing an away match um, against Rooney. So if Utah does that, you know, what are the implications when we talk about an East-West clash in the final? You know, who has to travel? Who's going to be the away uh, team? And will that heavily impact their ability to be be ready to play in that final. You know, off, off, off topic a little bit, but Rooney probably has to be the best away team. Not because their actual away record is great. It's because they, every game is an away game for them this season. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think you're going to see Mikey Tao versus Ben Foden, the two of the top 15s in the league playing. It's going to be right. a great match. Um, and very differing styles from both of them. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think it's uh, it's been a wonderful opportunity to be able to dig deep into this one here with Utah and San Diego. As you know, we like to be able to do a game analysis each and every week. Stay tuned as you can learn what will be the next one that we'll be debating in the upcoming weekend for MLR. So in the meantime, make sure that you continue to be able to follow us online under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod through social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can get new content and fresh content from us each and every week monday with our run parcel kick interviews and in addition to these rugby debate shows which will be shared every thursday and friday via our social media under the handle at rugby rant pod and then of course on the rugby network uh gentlemen once again it's been great and I wanted to be able to uh, take the time to be able to thank all our viewers for watching another wonderful episode here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. On behalf of Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and myself, Ty Braga, thank you for watching, and we will see you at the next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.